Welcome to the Ronis Podcast. I'm the host, Donato Strubunas. I'm joined by Augusto Schlauskas. And this time, Ritis is not here. He hasn't returned from his uh, birthday tour. He celebrated his 30, he's 33 years old, right? He looks older, right? Don't ask me. Okay. <laughs> But anyway, he, he just returned from this right. birthday tour with 50 Cent, actually. And uh, he for sure will show up in the next episode. But what do you think, what would be the best birthday gift to Ritis, knowing his personality? <laughs> That's easy. Okay. I mean, a jersey of some kind of team mm. or an old, uh, okay. I don't know, old hoodie okay. of, uh, of an NBA team, you know? I mean, he would love it for sure. I, I, I didn't think about the, you know, uh, something you can actually touch. I thought about the experience, like locking your, or just having the privilege to be locked uh, in, the, in your room, in your home just to watch football, basketball for the entire oh. week without any, you know, without any anybody disturbing you. You don't have to go out. You have beer all the time in your fridge, refreshed, <laughs> and some snacks and just watching, uh, lying on the sofa, waking up at two o'clock uh, in the afternoon and whatever. That sounds like a best week uh, for Rita Sushnauskas. For sure. And or some tickets, you know, to, to, the, to a football game. Or Somewhere another 50 Cent uh, concert. Did he go? Yeah, of course, in Riga. Oh, okay. But uh, <laughs> actually, I don't have a birthday present yet. But thank God we have our friends to help us with that. So SK Store, one of the biggest basketball stores in Europe, offers you to browse through some of the finest basketball equipment from the best brands on the market, such as Nike, Jordan Brand, Adidas, Puma, and others. So check it out at uh, skstore.eu. And let's check the gifts that we actually received from our friends, uh, SK Store. They actually sent us a lot of nice stuff and Donatas, uh, show us what you got in the okay. first pack. This way you can see what kind of items they have oh, in their store. I like it. I like it already. This one looks nice already. The color. I like the color. And it's Memphis Grizzlies color. I actually have too much of Grizzly stuff. <laughs> Jamarant. Okay. <laughs> that, that's controversial. That's a controversial pick. But I like it. First one. <laughs> Is Grizzlies your favorite team? Mm, I wouldn't say so. That's nice. That's my size. Wow, that's a cool stuff. What do you have? I have a... Uh, I was uh, also looking for some Blazers gear immediately when I found out they're going to be the partners of this uh. podcast. So since Blazers are my number one NBA team, I was looking for that, but this is... Ooh, some retro stuff, right? National Basketball Association. 31. Yeah, with the, I think all the teams. Okay. Team 31. That's nice. That's some retro stuff. Since I'm not a big fan of any of NBA teams, to be honest, so I actually prefer that kind of merch, you know? You don't associate yourself with any of the teams. And what's that all about? It's, it's another Memphis stuff, man. Carter? Did you did you tell them you are a Mem Memphis fan or, or what? Did somebody tell them some bad information or what? <laughs> What's that? Well, I, I like the about? color. That's uh, Vince, some kind of alternate jersey. Yeah, it's Vince Carter from 
2015-16 season Harvard Classic. So that's that's some wow. real retro stuff that we got, and then you can actually find also on skstore.u. They have they have a lot of jerseys, guys, wow. in in their store, and you, you can see one of the examples. I mean, I actually haven't seen anything like that. I didn't know that Memphis had stuff like this. And Vince Carter, we just had this his poster somewhere in in this studio. To be honest, jumping on Frederick White. Ooh, former Piriani player Amaro. on your side. Take a look. One Lamello with the balls. Ball. Yeah. Would you rather have Piriani jersey of Lamelo Ball or or this one, Charlotte? Looks, I don't know. Looks real fresh. Really good. Ooh. Guys, Donatas doesn't play basketball, Ooh. but if you do, you can check the SK store. <laughs> wow. Why why are you so happy? <laughs> I know they just look so nice. I'm not a big sneakers guy, but I love the design. Yeah. I I will start playing basketball just because of uh, of these sneakers to be honest. Guys, listen. This is this is Donatas publicly admitting that he will play basketball wow. in the in the next vacation. You also got some stuff. I got some stuff. That so, might extend your basketball career, right? I might use, I might use because them Okusa's actually tonight. officially retired from pro basketball. He's playing in some amateur leagues. So Just to get some playing time. You know? I will definitely. Okay. Wow. No, but that was... That's even better. That was not nice by you. Oh, <laughs> what really? <you're> saying. <laughs> some trash talk. <laughs> wow. What's that all about? I'll These and also there's another box. Oh, these are for walking. Whoa. These are super nice. Look, with a yellow well. with a yellow Nike Nike sign. What about that? <gasps> We're gonna be like brothers right now. No way! Right? Wow, that's perfect. Thank you, SK Store. You're the best. That's that are a lot of gifts. Uh, thanks a lot. Um, I'm go I'm definitely going to wear the shoes for for some games. These ones to to the podcast probably. And uh, man, I this Lamelo jersey. Just look how smooth it is. Just take a look. I like colors. It's like really, really high quality product in my yeah, eyes. It's like NBA stuff, so it cannot be low quality product. Yeah, nice. So you can find all that stuff and even more. Uh, for basketball activities or for uh, just for your free time on skstore.eu. Uh, again, one of the biggest uh, basketball stores in Europe. And the best thing I've heard about them, which to me shows a lot about the culture, uh, about the approach and mentality, that they have their physical store. And out there, you cannot just buy stuff, but you can also play NBA 2K. You can just talk about basketball with the uh people working uh, over here uh you can do a lot of different stuff and it's like you know uh, a place to spend time for basketball lovers so to mm. me it speaks a lot about the culture it's not only a shop it's only it's also an experience it has uh, some wisdom you know a shop <laughs> with the wisdom so skstar.eu uh, visit the website and you will f uh, find some some great deals and i heard that uh, our colleague Julius was surprised how fast they actually deliver all these goodies uh, in in like five days or something. So mm. that's that's pretty quick. 
Whew. Are, are you as excited as you were entering Jalgir Arena for the first home game? I am. Yeah, I am. I mean, there is so much stuff going on. Uh, every team is interesting. Maybe except with, with one that we might talk about later. Okay. But uh, just just so many new 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 things. I'm so interested to see how teams, how every team look, and just uh, just talk talk basketball here. So that's it. That's your impression about Dragic's uh, Red Star Red Star experience. I, I you was, had the live studio. Was, you were like Augustus was dri driving. I was driving the car uh, home after the game on Augustus for half of the trip, which is like one hour and a little bit more. He was talking like, "Oh my God, these were like a courtside seats, and I got these seats for free. I was just enjoying basketball. Nobody was in front of me." And you, you repeated this like for three, four times, and now you you kind of pretend that nothing had happened. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say no. I was, I was just. Uh, I thought that your question was, how do you feel about the Euroleague in general? If you're asking me about the Jalgiris game, I mean, we already had game. round one games, so we kind of, you know, had this official start of the season. But it's yeah, different but, when but, you hit the gym. You know, I wasn't in the podcast after the first week, so I didn't have a chance to really express ah, my, okay, okay, uh, how I felt, how excited I am about the start of the Euroleague. And in in Konas, I was super excited to see the, the action, you know, and um, you know this Vesda team is is super interesting. And uh, I heard, you know, what Eric said last week in the podcast. He was really excited about, you know, Zvezda being a lock, which I don't really for playoffs, which I don't agree to to you know to to some extent because. Yeah, they 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 have huge upside. They have so many new players, so they still need time to fulfill the, their potential. But uh, I think I saw also the, their game against Asvel in the first game, and I just thought that you know it's more of a you know you can get the idea of how Asvel is not a Euroleague team at the moment, and not of how good Zvezda is, you know, actually. And it told more about the French team than the, than, than the Serbian team. And, you know, in, in game two, we saw some of those problems, but, you know, Zvezda played really well, I thought, for like three quarters. And just in the fourth quarter, I thought Jalgris adjusted their game plan super, super interestingly. And, you know, they were not afraid. Jalgris coaching staff were, wasn't afraid of... Uh, changing their emphasis in offense and uh, uh, when Shabazz uh, did that offensive foul and uh, Dusko Ivanovic pushed, put uh, Miloš Teodosic and Nemanja Nedovic together on, on the court without Adam Hanga, that's where Žalgir started their run. They started picking uh, Teodosic most of the time in offense and they were successful and it was the Žalgir small ball with Brady Manik, new, the, the, the new guy, and uh, Roland Schmitz that worked to perfection. So I was, I was, you know, it was like a game to see. Uh, last year I was seeing those games from from TV, those Ralgris comebacks in 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 their arena, and now I got to witness it, you know, from 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 super good seats. And then I got to talk about it. So I was really excited about that. And just the atmosphere in Jalgir Arena during those comebacks, during those crazy runs is, is it, something crazy. It's hard to script a better home game experience when to have this, you know, almost double digit deficit, deficit and this great uh, comeback that Jalgir has experienced in the fourth quarter. And the atmosphere was like 
crazy. It was uh, electric. And uh, you mentioned this thing about Eric and Zvezda and his prediction that Zvezda and his take that Zvezda is a top eight lock. Uh, to be honest, I'm also not on his side because in this year, like watching these teams, watching some teams having potential challenges, I think except from Real Madrid, I don't see any real top eight locks anymore because all other teams, they're facing a lot of different challenges and uh, it might be very confusing and interesting season. And except from Real Madrid, I don't see anybody for sure making even to the playoffs. And I'm not even talking about it, making to the playoffs without the uh, play-in. But then another positive thing for Red Star, Shabazz Napier was, was off and... Huge credit goes to Thomas Dimsha, the way he stopped Absolutely. him, contained him in the beginning of the game. And probably I, I, I repeated the story for like five times already, but this is the same guy who was questioned in Treviso if he should continue in Benetton Treviso two years ago, uh, last summer, uh, actually. And now he's taking one of the best uh, scorers out of the game. At least he made him, forced him to a slow start that I think a little bit impacted the way he tried to come back to the game. And but from Zvezda's side, to be up by nine in the fourth quarter with your best scorer, with one of the best scorers in the Euroleague, uh, having a terrible shooting night, he was one of ten. It's also some kind of positive, and mm -hmm. it just speaks again about the miracles that Jalgiris continues to do. I mean, they were down by fifteen at the end of the third against Virtus. Now they are down by nine against uh, Restar, who kind of felt were in control of the game. And if we remember all. Uh, last season, it's like, you know, deja vu feeling, uh, really. A lot of games, a lot of crazy comebacks, and I just call them like champions of comebacks in the yearly <laughs> because if I, I didn't uh, dig it again for the stats, but I believe that they managed to get out of the biggest, uh, largest leads that the opponents had. So kudos to Jargis. You just, you have to kill them before the fourth quarter because if not, Arnas Butkavich suddenly starts doing crazy things. Keenan Evans will make every shot he takes and some crazy things will happen, especially if you're playing in Konas. Edgar Slanos will start hitting those crazy fadeaway... Spin moves, uh, fadeaway shots. And uh, you mentioned Thomas Dimsha and his defense, but I would also... You have to mention Kavari's Hayes, I think, in this podcast. He helped Dimsha with, uh, you know... He allowed Dimsha to be aggressive on, on Napier. So when he drives inside, Kavari's Hayes was always there to protect the rim. You know, Zvezda thought they had a couple of layups. He comes out of nowhere, he blocks those shots, or he just changes the, let's say, the arc of, of, of some of these shots. So I think he was huge as well. So, mm, you know, you mentioned Zvezda was up nine, but I would also say that they are not going to get 20 offensive rebounds on, on every EuroLeague game. That's a huge... Uh, that was a huge problem for Jalgiris and they I mean, have to improve it. But their length is impressive, I, I agree. And Eric mentioned that as well in the last podcast. That's how Dushko teams play, you know, they're super aggressive crashing the boards. They're super aggressive, but Jalgiris were not boxing out. There, there were many instances where the shot they're shooting, uh, Zvezda are shooting a three-pointer and Keenan Evans and Edgar Slanovas are going towards the rim, which is already weird because it's a three-pointer shot, so it's probably going to be a long rebound. And they're not boxing out. So but still, I, I watched plenty of round one and round two games. Chargers is for sure not the worst uh, I team agree. boxing out. I agree. Th I noticed. Uh, I was watching some of the other yeah. games. You know, catching up. Uh, I was. This I, was I was impressed 
by the some some teams showing the level of you know boxing out. I, I know where you are going to mention, yeah. but I was catching up to those games and I was like, did are we not boxing out anymore? What what yeah. like what is happening? Because every team that crashed the offensive glass got so many of them and actually won games. Yeah. So I'm like, why is it not emphasized anymore? Or, or like because not like. You can't say it is not emphasized because some teams still do it, but uh, you know there were just so many examples, and maybe it's the start of the season, so everybody's talking about the you know let's say offense, a pick and roll defense, and they kind of forget the off the defensive rebounding. I'm not sure, but it was a really a huge uh, point of emphasis in the first two rounds. Well, that's why you have four hour video sessions, you know, to the, catch up with these things. Probably to, to one of the reasons. Make some adjustments. Uh, does does four hour video session sound fun to you? Uh, it depends. If it's How do you the see video it session of the Office TV series, I love it. Oh. But if it's the video session of, I, I mean, okay, knowing Ergen Ataman and his style in the previous teams, I'm really, I'm kind of sure, I'm confident saying that he probably just tuned two games in a row, like Panaikos Olympiakos. And then Panaikos, they played Peristere, I think. Or it was Maruzi game. I don't remember which one, but it was a tough win. Probably it was Maruzi. And Maruzi, I just, yeah. And knowing Ataman's style, and I did a, let's say, this is my also well-educated guess based on the research I did. There's very high <laughs> chance that they just watched both full games, just fast-forwarding timeouts and commercials, but watching all the plays. And... <laughs> I've asked some people, you know, how these long videos, it's not the first time Ataman puts, uh, you know, long video session. So I asked some guys how these look like from the inside. So usually Ataman is not very vocal during those video sessions, but instead he prefers to rewind those mistakes all over and all over again from, you, you can see the same replay twice. You can see the same play for like repeated for five or six times. Mm. It's <laughs> up to you, you know, to understand quicker the mistake you did and just uh, uh, make everybody sure that you're not going to repeat it again. Uh, sometimes he's not saying basically anything during those video sessions. It's not like he's just stopping plays and explaining what's wrong, what's bad. In a lot of cases, it's for you to understand your mistake. So you are telling me this was a four-hour film session in more or less silence? No, I'm, I'm not saying <laughs> it's, it's his style. I'm not. It's his style. I, I wasn't there. I wasn't in yeah, that yeah, video session, sure. so maybe it was different. It's a new team. Ataman is is not coaching in Turkey anymore, so maybe he he did some different games. Uh, and in in a lot of cases, sometimes his assistants step up, you know, to be more vocal. But Ataman's style is just to be more silent, just 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 to watch, just to relax, just to pay, play some clips on the replay. And that's why it usually takes so long. I mean, usually, you know, the film sessions are what, like 10, 20 minutes in, in, in professional teams. You know, before games, you watch one day, 10 minutes of, of the opposing team offense, defense. Then the next day you watch 10-15 minutes of players' uh, tendencies and what they like to do. Uh, then maybe there, 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 there is something more, it depends on the team. And after the game, it's usually a similar situation. It's usually, you know, obviously it depends a lot on the coaches, but let's say the majority of the teams, it's like, what, 15, 20? The teams are trying not to load players with a lot of information. They're trying to, the assistants are trying trying to pick out the main things, let's say what we're bad, 
and uh, to help, you know, be better, you know, at these things. So four hour film session is more of a message to the players that if you don't understand what I'm saying in words, you are going to have to suffer these four hours because, you know, I don't know another way of how to explain you these things. And if you see them all and over and over and over again, then maybe you finally understand because clearly, you know, the words weren't enough in the, in the first couple of weeks. So it's like saying, please don't do the same mistakes again, because we are, we, we can do, we can do these four hour sessions, you know, video yeah. every week. It was just this lengthy and boring message that he sent, but it worked. Absolutely. I mean, they, they beat uh, Bayern Munich by seven uh, at home. And probably that's what sometimes you need, especially in the beginning of the season to set the tone and to s set the bar uh, for your players. Uh, so Panathinaikos bounced back with their first EuroLeague win. And uh, we had some interesting results and we will focus on four teams, two losers and two winners of the early start of the season. And it's a little bit strange, especially when we were so high about them in our power rankings for the season. It's a little mm. bit strange to see Monaco and FS without a single win so far. Although both teams had a different schedule, FS played Barca and uh, Real, Madrid. Real Madrid, while Monaco had Virtus and Valencia, uh, but they didn't manage to win any game. What's wrong with FS Monaco? Should they press panic button already? Is it something? Is it nothing? Um, that's your favorite question. Is it something? Is it yeah. nothing? Is it everything? Um, we got, probably start with FS, right? Okay. Uh, I, I wouldn't just push the panic button as of yet, but they have to do a better job defensively. I mean, was this the team you, you wanted to mention in, in the defensive rebounding? One of them. One, One of them. them, because, you know, clearly Jalgiris did not get the memo from the coaching staff that you have to box out, but FS clearly did not do the same thing. And it's like, but it wasn't even the, the main reason they lost. Uh, first of all, Real Madrid is a team above everyone else, one or two levels at this moment. They look like in the playoff shape already. They're just having fun. They started the game incredibly well and in every position they, they you know they might have a better player against every team in a lineup like most of the teams and um there's if there is a video session before uh, playing real madrid what's the first thing you, you you think that coaches are mentioning what we have to stop what we have to stop yeah one thing in in madrid's offense Facundo Campasso? i'm not a player but like what uh, offensive thing they are doing so well that the coaches are emphasizing? You're a video breakdown guy. It's it's your job. Transition offense. Oh, okay. They're, yeah, they're running. Kind of obvious, they're yeah. running like crazy. And you know, now with Campazzo pushing the pace, it was the number one problem for FS. And if you want to win against Real Madrid with Campazzo now, you have to be yeah. super good in transition defense. And FS, FS were not. FS were, first of all, creating good shots, but they were missing. And that allows a, a quick shot for Real Madrid. Nobody, nobody's really stopping the ball. Nobody's making those smart fouls in, in transition defense. And Real were just, both those runs that uh, they made, like, let's say 26 and nine in the first quarter. Yeah. And then a bit later, a lot of shots were in transition after turnovers and after FS missed shots. So 
if they would have fixed it, let's say during the game, this could have been a close game, but they were just not good enough at, at this department. So uh, there were more problems, but uh, this one was the main one, plus the defensive rebounding. Yeah, 91 points allowed in, in Barcelona game, then 103 points against Real Madrid. Worst defensive rating so far. They allow 70% uh, from two. Uh, a lot of breakdowns everywhere. Perimeter, transition defense, no, no, they don't use team fouls. Uh, a lot of breakdowns in communication in some easy situations. Uh, they ha I think that they have problems on the help side, especially starting from from power forwards. And I think that that's where they need another guy. That's why they're looking for a power forward. And my idea was like, you know, somebody that could stretch the floor, but it, it should be like a Roland Schmidt's type of guy who could stretch the floor to some extent, but who would be more experienced who would be more physical uh, and who could read some situations uh, better and who would add size. Uh, because in the defensive situations, uh, that also includes big men, they have a lot of problems. But but yeah, it, it feels like they, they have these bad habits from previous years because despite mm -hmm. those big changes, uh, like marquee players and coaches leaving the team, they kept the core. But it feels like that they have the same bad habits from the past seasons in terms of the defensive effort, boxing, uh, boxing out, even defensive uh, communication, which is it's really hard to understand when you play together for so many years, uh, and they're just not tough enough. And uh, but Erdem John is a different type of coach, and I believe that with some time he will, you know, demand his players to be different defensively. But so far, let's say they have to build this defensive mentality from scratch completely. You know. I wouldn't push the panic button as of yet because they're nobody. First of all, nobody should two games. Push, push the panic button after two games yeah. in Euroleague, except if you're if, in Villarban. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> agree. Um, but they are. It's just that. I mean, those habits you mentioned. It's true, but they're a new team, so they kind of have to understand those, especially the new guys. But I would say that the old guys also have to do a better job. Let's say, you know, Erkan Yilmaz played 22 minutes. He missed all five shots from the field, but with him on the court, with his intensity, Efes looked a better team. And they actually were in 22 minutes plus five in a game they lost by 20. And Will Clyburn was minus 30 in 17 minutes played. And did you see the way Erdem Chan was not happy with him in the third quarter when he, when he subbed him out? after one def defensive breakdown. I remember when he subbed out uh, Shane Larkin for basically the same reasons. Uh, so and this is this is what I'm saying, that this is a new team. They have to figure things out. They have to, you know, be, be better defensively. But it's not only the, the, the new guys that have to adjust. I think more energy and more intensity from the, from the old guys also uh, can be better. And if you're playing against Madrid, you have to, Everybody has to be playing at 100% if you want to win. They're just that good at this moment of the season. So um, it's it was a tough game for, for FS, but I believe they're going to bounce back and they're probably, you know, I still think they're a playoff team for sure this season. Yeah, yeah. And good to, it's good you mentioned that Kanil Mas. He's one of my new 
uh, most favorite uh, rookies that EuroLeague uh, mm. presented introduced in the beginning rounds of, of of the regular season. Three steals in the first quarter, and he he was the probably the biggest reasons of this huge comeback when they were down by seventeen already in the first quarter. Mm. So, yeah, they should follow more of what Erkan Yilmaz does uh, during the games in the warm up or or whatever. The the mentality they have to transmit this mentality to to some other players. FS don't have really a huge rim protection guy at the moment you know yeah. in the pick and roll and that's what's hurting them so you can compensate for this with your energy and that's yeah. why you know his energy brought so so much good uh for fs in this game uh what's wrong with monaco so far uh what's wrong with monaco mm, i would say jordan lloyd not playing <laughs> I didn't expect I would miss Jordan Lloyd so much. And, you know, Why it's not? funny. I mean, because uh, in, in the offseason, we were talking like, oh, uh, how are they going to share the ball? They're so loaded. There's so much traffic in their backcourt. But I remember mm, that I mentioned that Jordan Lloyd was in and out during the last season already with Kemba Walker. You're not even sure if he's going to play at all. So now you have this situation where, you're, where you start the season with Elio Coba and Mike James, and you really understand the impact that Jordan Lloyd had Offensively, first of all, orchestrating the offense when, for instance, Mike jo uh, Mike James was not playing or he was playing off ball. So, so yeah, we do miss Jordan Lloyd a lot. I mean, I thought I thought the conversation about Monaco not having enough basketballs uh, stopped way way in last season. But um, Jordan Lloyd is missing. He is the second best player, you know, second most important player I think on that team. And in this game against Verdes that I saw, they had the same problem. They just they just can't make three pointers, open three pointers, good looks that they create. They were four of twenty-two from uh, from the three-point range. They are only thirty-two percent in all five last five games that they have played in Euroleague and in the mm. French league. And uh, it, it's that same problem, you know, Mike. Mike is Mike is creating opportunities for others, uh, but the guys are just not making making those shots, and they score fifty nine against Virtus, which I believe will cause a lot of trouble for for a lot of teams this season with the new coach Luca Banki. But probably we'll talk about it later. But it's those guys that missed shots last year in the playoffs. They were shooting well and to start the season in the French league, but. Euroleague started and we have the same situation again. So um, I think they're fine. They're okay. Uh, but um, they have to have to integrate integrate the new guys already. Like Terry Tarpey wasn't even looking at the basket uh, for a couple of times when he got the ball open. So, you know, it's the same story, but I think with the full roster, they, they should be fine. And I think, you know, they can't be at this percentage uh, for, for a long time. Yeah, so Monaco was never a defensive team and to start the season averaging 62 points per game means straight uh, L uh, for, for Monaco. And uh, yeah, as you mentioned, I mean, sh the shooting moves that they have, they brought me back to probably the start of the Maccabi series where only Mike James can basically score. And that's why I liked Luca Bangis, you know, order to... Uh, to to make Daniel Hackett to f Mike James uh, to force to kick the ball out. Nobody was making shots. Uh, nobody, nobody could create for themselves or for others in the beginning of the game. And 
they started to build the team, uh, the lead uh, from that. And and later you can add it with some defensive. I mean, as I said, they have defensive uh, issues, that's for sure. And when you have your best defensive player, John Brown, uh, getting into the foul trouble with 90 seconds into the game, that's that's huge uh, for your team. And I just, I was re-watching this game and after three quarters, Monaco was four from 14 from three and Virtus were 15 from 26. So we're talking about the, 33 point difference in trees alone and uh, hmm. it's not like only you know bad shooting uh, covers the problems that monaco have but again it's it's not all about monaco it's about their opponents uh, the way Val valencia out hustled them or hustled their path to the victory and here having virtus playing amazing game uh, i mean uh, from the defensive plan to some individual players like Ife Lundberg, Jalen Smith, they were making tough shots. While Monaco, they were missing good looks, some open looks, uh, not, uh, you know, monetizing uh, good situations. Jalen Smith, Ife Lundberg, even uh, Toko Shingelia, Marco Bellinelli, they were uh, making crazy shots. And uh, when you think about Virtus, um, they should have won that first game against Radgeris, right? They were Absolutely. down by, uh, they were up by 15 and they were in control of the game. Now they were in complete control of the another game. And we're talking about the two top eight teams and Monaco, a final four in particular. So that's a very impressive start uh, for Virtus season. I think, you know, when you look at the playing box score, you, you would agree and everyone would agree that maintaining 16 of 31, I think three point shooting is not, it's not it's not sustainable they're not going to be hitting threes at this rate you know if a Lundberg made some made two three pointers at the last seconds of the shot clock but we have to shout out virtus i think you know we ranked them pretty low in our power rankings but so far luca banki has done a, an amazing job to this team and you could see the same uh, principles that he applied to the latvian national team play play aggressive play simple and play smart and have fun and you know these three and that last thing have fun is how the Virtus are actually playing at the moment they're playing aggressive defense and then they're trying to go run in transition and they're not playing off a lot off of sets but they're playing a lot out of this you know get the ball inside go get a handoff play some off ball action this is not set up plays this is just Virtus players playing off of feel feel for the game mm -hmm. and that's that has been really effective to start the season because teams maybe are not that ready to guard actions that are not uh, programmed you know to to the to the, to the to the set plays that the other team has so Shingelia can express himself one-on-one -on -one. he has the ball so much um you can sh you are allowed to shoot early shots you know there is there is a, there is this freedom in in virtus team at the moment that you can feel right now and uh isaiah cordinier look look at the start of the season for him so i think they're going to be trouble for a lot of good teams this season especially in the first part of 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 the of of right now of the season and and just uh uh don't sleep on them, I guess. Yeah, that's that's actually the message I received before the season from one smart uh, guy who, who who knows and follows Virtus uh, very well. Actually, something like don't don't sleep on them because they're good. And he said this is a hungry group with a great mentality and 
wish to suffer altogether on defense. And that's what we see early into the season. And it's good you mentioned Banke because uh, I think it was a post-game interview where Luca Banke was asked something about some by the Euroleague TV reporter. Oh, so we're two games into the season. How are you happy as a head coach about the process you're having, the way your team is tra uh, transmitting and becoming a team? And his response was like, do you know when I arrived to this team? <laughs> do you? And he, he kind of, he, he threw an ever comment and he just left. It was not an angry response, but it was a great reminder that the guy arrived like a month ago. So yeah. to, to inspire the team that way, that's, that's impressive. And that's, an, uh, that's a nice start uh, for Virtus. Uh, one last fact about Virtus. They actually uh, keep surprising us with one of the oldest starting lineups that we ever had in the early history. Uh, so for the second straight game, Luca Banke put up uh, the sixth oldest starting five all time with Marco Bellinelli, 37, Brian Dunstan, 37, Daniel Hackett, 35, Tornike Schengelia, 32, and this young guy, Isaiah Cordinier, at 26. 26. So it's 33.9 age average. And the oldest team that we had was 35 and 2. Uh, in the last game of the last Euroleague season, Asvel Villarban, Charles Cahudi, 36, Nando De Colo, 35, Alex Tyus, 35, David Lighty, 34, and D Boss, 33. Wow. Yeah. There's place for old men in Euroleague. It's good we start with Virtus because let's talk about. Uh, about positive things. Mm. Uh, and on the other side of the losers, we have winners in Barcelona and Valencia. It's actually funny that we have three or four undefeated teams from Spain. Barca, Real Madrid, Valencia, and Jalgiris are the only undefeated teams, except from Maccabi, who played uh, one game. What did you like the most about Barcelona uh, that you put very low in your power rankings? And you had your own arguments, but probably they surprised us all because they had Tough games as well, playing uh, FS even at home and playing Olympiacos away and winning both games. That's impressive. I mean, FS is still not in the best shape. That's clear. Olympiacos were without the handful of players in this game. But you have to say that Barcelona are enjoying the freedom that they have. They still have the good old habits from Jesikiewicz's time. And now these players are just enjoying the game of basketball. They're La Provitola is taking early free pointers, running away from the basket and then just turning and shooting. And uh, when I saw that shot, I was like, yeah, this you could not see this shot last season. It, it was simply mm. not possible. Even though La Provitola was the only guy who got some freedom. Okay, Nikola Mertic as well. But True. La Provitola had a bit different rules in, in Shara's uh, rulebook. But this was not, <laughs> this wasn't a possibility. It wouldn't go well season. if Shara's was on the sidelines. Yeah. So, you know, it's the good habits, I think, mixed with freedom that Roger Grimau gives. Uh, he allows, just like Luca Banke, players to express himself. And the coaching staff has been mixing up, mixing in nice wrinkles to their offensive style. Uh, they beat Olympiacos in the fourth quarter. It was a tie game going into the fourth, and it was the Spain pick and roll and the variations of it that made Barcelona win that game. So, for example, first time it works. First of all, I think their spacing is amazing, and Alex Abrines did an amazing job in this game, five of seven three-pointers. But um, 
So first of all, it's a Spain pick and roll with the back screen. Simple, you know, usual, like you see for 20 times in every game, he scores a free pointer. Then the next time uh, they run a Spain pick and roll, but the back screener doesn't go up. Instead, he sets the screen for the big guy who pops and Barcelona scored in this way. Then it's a timeout and it's another option from the Spain pick and roll. La Provitola, instead of going to the rim, he goes to the corner to hand it off for Abrines and it's another free pointer. And it's like that corner guy simply does not expect it, just like the big guy doesn't expect the pick and pop on Spain pick and roll. So I thought this mix of freedom, good habits, and Roger Grumau mixing in some new interesting stuff uh, gave them this win against Olympiacos, against, let's say, a depleted Olympiacos team. Yeah, but we, we shouldn't focus on, you know, excuses because Barca also have their own excuses, right? The new head coach, Nicola Mirotic is gone, uh, Jabari Parker, Joel Parra, Brizuela, we mentioned all those challenges that these newcomers are facing. Cora Higgins is gone. So it's not like Barcelona is like Real Madrid, unbeatable uh, team that it's, it's, it's really hard to do anything against. So they also had their reasons to have their own excuses, but they did well. And from all of this group, I really liked Jan Vesely a lot. And mm. to me, he kind of reminded me of peak Vesely. I mean, especially in some stretches against uh, FS, he played a huge game and even against Olympiacos and those, in that last uh, four minutes run when they were down by seven, he did some amazing small small uh, details like uh, stealing the ball from Mustafa Fall um, despite being behind his back he made some great deflection of course thanks to his uh, crazy lengthy uh, arms then he blocked Brasdeikis then he made a great defensive stop against uh, walk up uh, and in an other game against FS I mean his his mid-range game uh, offensive boards perfect timing for for putbacks for dunks I mean to see how sharp he was, I was like, probably is the... Okay, we're talking about two games, right? But mm. he really reminded those Fenerbahce years playing under Jelko with this full confidence uh, from the head coach and also with the freedom that now he gets from Roger Grimao. And although I had concerns how it's going to work with uh, to share this in the center position with Willi Hernan Gomez, but now it, it, it looks like a some cheat code you know you have Willi Hernan Gomez we're gonna put like 20 points in 15 minutes and when you put Jan Vesely who's so far been playing more minutes you can close games with him with his defense and when he feels so confident in the offense he, he he's becoming a really uh, a, a real threat and I think that we kind of forgot how good he could be and these two games the start was kind of a nice reminder and uh, I just checked the player survey that we did for this season, but we haven't published it yet because we're still lacking of some players to, to complete it. And from the all the answers we got, uh, there was the question, if you could team up with any EuroLeague player, not from your team, who would be, who would it be? And I was, I was honestly surprised that there were a lot of mentions, a lot of different players, I don't know, maybe 15 or something. And there were only few who got multiple uh, votes and Jan Vesely I think he was in the top three so I was a little bit surprised but at the same mm. time I remember all these conversations that I had with former his former teammates uh, or even the opponent opponents and his you know on, on the court his physical presence is something close to Eddie uh, Tavares like Shabazz Napier told in one of the interviews you know how huge Tavares is 
But then you enter the court and have to, courts, and when you have to play against them, then you really realize how huge he is. The same goes with Jan Vesely. He's he's a monster. He's a dinosaur on the court who makes a big difference. And off the court, he's a not a vocal leader, but he leads by the example. And he, the personality that he has is the reason why uh, even the great players wants to team up with him, even if he's not on your team. And this was the game, uh, the perfect game where it's let's say. Barcelona have two different centers, Vili and him. And this was the game where it is more suited for Jan to be the main option in, instead of uh, Vili. Because, you know, Vili can't really create much for himself down in the post, especially going against Mustafa Fall and Nikola Milutinov. You know, that's a tough matchup. And with Olympiakos pick and roll defense, it's hard to use him, you know, as a rolling big guy. And that's why he played 17 minutes. He had only three shots. Uh, one of them was a pick and pop three pointer. So um, Jan, I think, uh, suited better for this game against Olympia Koss. And so far, he's showing really great signs to start the season. Four steals, three assists, four rebounds, doing all those little things. But I, I also like Barcelona's defense, their aggressiveness. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if that's going to be their, let's say, trademark, trademark thing throughout the season. Is it going to be more of their offense or is it going to be more of their defense? But I think... Remember, we were criticizing their defense at the start of the season because that was a real issue. But they have the personal uh, to be a good defensive team. Like last year, they were top three in the defensive rating per, per B-Politics. So they have the right personal to, to play a good defense. Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously, like you said, there are no excuses, but Olympiakos as well lost a lot of new uh, lost a lot of important players yeah. a lot of new players are coming in they played with an injury depleted roster like that this wasn't olympia cost that there that, that this wasn't the best version of olympia cost so i'm not i'm not downplaying barcelona's victory but they're they're playing some good basketball to start the season did you have any impression on ignaz brasdekis and his debut tonight um I mean, I want to see more. I want to see more obviously, of him, yeah. obviously. He's um, coming off the injury as well. True. And no preseason with this his is a team. new system. Yeah. This is completely different from what they played in Chalgiris. You know, this this is much more ball movement where he gets the ball maybe, you know, in closeout situations. Not as much where he's the initial creator. I thought he did some great passes, you know, when he created the advantage, when he touched the paint. Sometimes I even was like, wow, he's in Jalgiris, he would have shot this. But now since he's Olympia cause, he's passing for a, you know, passing up good shot for a great shot. So, but yeah, I, I just, I just want to see more of him and then, then we can make some more comments. Yeah. He had five, five points in 18 minutes. He was two from three from the field. Uh, and he, I, I hope that's uh, Bartzokas and Olympiago system will help him to to grow to, and to be a better player and to get him on the national team, getting some different tools, uh, again, improved uh, basketball IQ, the way he reads European game, that would help the, our national team as well. Valencia. Valencia. I haven't managed to to see them yet. What were your impressions? I, I watched two games about them. and just the ending of those games, both four quarters against Monaco and Fenerbahce. I mean, that's impressive. 
you remember that we had this conversation and we agreed that we wouldn't be surprised if they start the season one and nine yeah. because and of the schedule two zero. they had. <laughs> now they're 2-0. And uh, okay, I just watched those four quarters and I wouldn't say that, you know, these, I mean, neither of those wins were sexy, but in my eyes, they just out-muscled their opponent, opponents. They were very physical. They found right leaders in the decisive moments, uh, attacking the ball, like Chris Jones making a dagger uh, over Mike James, or Brandon Davis and Damian Ingles uh, playing some 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 nice uh, inside the paint basketball to get the win against Fenerbahce. And of course, there was a lot of uh, you know defense involved in both of those uh, wins. Uh, but just watching them grinding th for those wins, I thought that this is a different Valencia. This is more physical. This is more athletical, uh, athletic uh, Valencia. Uh, and and you have Chris Jones as a point guard. Uh, you have Shemi Ojale, and you have Brandon Davis. It's already a different lineup that he had uh, last year. Uh, I had some conversations about them, the way they have changed, and you know, it it was. I heard a good point. I mean, Boyan Dublievich, he has his own weapons and strengths, but also he has some weaknesses. And as a big, he's not that typical, uh, you know, physical big that some other teams have. With Brandon Davis, you get an entire, entirely different approach. Shemi Ojale is one of the strongest guys we have in the Euroleague. And Chris Jones, as I, as I said, you know, he's a very strong guard. So I liked their physicality at the start of this uh, season. And those wins, those tough wins, I think that in both games, they were... Uh, behind the two minutes remaining but they managed you know to, to win those ga games and for these teams for these mid-level teams sometimes uh these narrow wins help to build a huge confidence help to build the chemistry that they need to build with the new guys they have new core players that they have it also helps to build the confidence for the head coach who was in a tough situation, let's say, starting the season. And it might translate into some good things uh, for the entire year. So very good start for for, for Valencia results-wise. But of course, those two narrow wins show that, you know, the margin, error of margin is very narrow and you cannot get uh, too much in love of yourself uh, after even beating teams like Fenerbahce or Monaco. Absolutely. I think, you know, I can't comment on how they played, but you made a great point, you know, for these teams that are new, uh, that have changed a lot. And they basically, Valencia have changed their face during the off season. It is so important and so huge to win those couple of first games to build confidence in what they're doing, what they're trying to change and achieve for the head coach, for the players coming in that maybe haven't played in the EuroLeague or in, haven't been too long in Valencia. So I think it's a huge, like, we said that they might start really bad and that might translate over the course of the season. You know, mm. these two wins could work the opposite way. So uh, I'm really interested to see Valencia going forward because as we as we said before, they don't have a easy schedule even after these two wins. So uh, let's see how they do in the upcoming games. By the way, at the end of the Fenerbahce and Valencia game, was there was very interesting highlight. The, this situation. I think that Fenerbahce, they were down by two or three and Dimitris Studis took the timeout and he was driving the play. Uh, and, you know, Nick Kalatis, he played 12 minutes in total of, of the first two games. He took this, draws the play, 
I don't remember for how, how long Kalates was not playing already, and for sure he was not going to to be subbed in for that last uh, offensive play. And you know, it would just play, he he orders to play a small ball, puts Nigel Hayes as a five. They need a three pointer, you know, to mm -hmm. tie the game. So Kalates comes from behind. He basically, you know, gets on Itudis' shoulder to watch, you know, from from the top, you know, what he's drawing. And I was like, wow. I mean. 19 or 20 players that played 12 minutes uh, in the first two games, and especially knowing Nick's situation, which is very particular, they would be in the third row of their bench, you know, just to put your uh, put your arm on, on the shoulder and say, oh, Fenerbahce, let's go or something. And usually those players, they don't have any interest on what's happening uh, because, you know, they put their egos in, in front and they're not happy with the situation they're in. And for me, you know, watching Kalatis doing this, I was like, okay, that's some classy stuff. And knowing that Nick is 34, he will turn 35 in February. I'm, I hope to see him translating into coaching at some point of his career in, in a few years, because he, 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 I think that he, he would have a chance to be a really interesting coach. So maybe he's already, you know, putting that's some things in his backpack, you know, for his new chapter. That's what I wanted to say. Maybe he's, you know, trying to see the ideas, you know, yeah, how how he do these things and what he wants to run in these last situations. But I mean, he's a professional. He's buying in from the first yeah. moment to the last moment. Doesn't matter the situation. So. And it's uh, a good example kudos. for other players. Absolutely. You know, if you're the last guy who has all the reasons to be angry about the situation he's in, if he's showing that kind of commitment, mm. I have to step up with my, you know, ego sure. in my mind. So that's nice. That's that's a classy move by Nicolatis. And Rabakche also got hit by injuries this, this weekend. Yeah. Even with injuries on other teams, but suffered by Fenerbahce players. It's not yeah. clear yet how long Arthur Jagger's will not be playing. It looks like a serious injury. Uh, the whole uh, examination process took a little bit uh, longer than expected because they want to get some different opinions uh, to mm. check about the best you know, uh, way of the rehab or best uh, things to shorten the, the process, but it doesn't look good. And of course, Tyler Dorsey uh, is out, out for two months. around two months. It might be even longer knowing the injury he had, and it was the fracture somewhere in his foot, probably. So uh, Fenerbahce also might hit the market to find a short-term replacement for, for Tyler Dorsey. So okay. basically in two months, they lost three guards in Raul Neto in the World Cup, now Dorsey, and then Artur Jagers, who could potentially join the team actually during this season, because there was this window included in his contract to get out of this loan agreement with BC Wolves. So who knows, let's say Dorsey was out, Jagers was playing well, which he did against Letkabelis, and who knows, maybe he got the chance to, to join the Fenerbahce. Mm. So he I don't know, man. Been, he just have been so, so unlucky with these injuries. And mm. you know, it was just so sad seeing him going down again. Hopefully it's not as serious as it looked. And uh, we're waiting for that probably official announcement yeah. coming out in today, tomorrow Maybe. should be, I mean, should not take that long. Yeah, and speaking of waiting for announcements, TG Parker is on a hot seat and you never know which game will be last for him. They even lost the game in the French League now against Nanterre, I think. They, uh, they were, it was their fourth loss in the five games including EuroLeague and French League? Uh, they Basically, now they have lost more games than they have won this season, if you're counting both leagues. They have won four games.
uh, all in the French League. They are four and three in the French League and zero two in the Euroleague. And they don't look like a Euroleague team. I mean, I'm sorry, but but it's true. They but look. Does it start from the from coaching? Do you think that the coaching change will change things? You know, it's hard to say what can change things. You are not inside of the team. But what I see from outside is that there is no system. There is no, let's say, team mentality. On defense, if there is somebody makes a mistake, there is nobody who comes in and helps the player. Like if, for example, in that Zvezda game in the, in the first half, uh, somebody gets beat on the three-point line and Shabazz Napier goes in and makes the wide open layup. Where are where are four other guys that you know might help the Sounds situation? Like you're talking about FS, actually. <laughs> uh, it, you know, it wasn't that bad on, <laughs> yeah. on, on FS, but yeah, of course, that game in Belgrade, Asvel versus versus Cervena uh, Zvezda was just you know they allowed everything for Cervena Zvezda. So that's what that's what I said that it was a smokescreen, you know, for 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 how good Zvezda is. It just showed how bad as well were. Um, they were helping from one pass away from shooters like Rokas Gedraitis. I'm not mm -hmm. sure what kind of, you know, defensive... It, it's definitely not something TJ Parker instructs them to do, but since there is no system, players just seem to do more or less whatever they think of on the court. And, uh, you know, uh, they allowed, what, like 47 points or 50 points in the first half there. So, uh, no... 73, I think. 17 frees, yeah, against Vesda. Yeah, so it was just it was just hard to watch, you know, and, and helping from Gedraitis one pass away, helping from Ma Marko Simonovic in the paint, who is a shooter. So like there is no system, there is no clear ideas, and and you know, uh, I'm not sure if coaching hire will help, but uh, you know, at least it might it could be some kind of a shock to the team, and and it might provide something new. It's not like they have the worst roster, hopeless roster, right? On your backcourt, you have Nando De Colo, Frank Jackson, Paris Lee. Uh, it doesn't sound bad, you know, on your on your wings, on your forwards. You have Timothy Luavo Cabro. Uh, Mike Scott, of course, he has a lot of to prove. Uh, on centers, you have Laverne, Yusuf Afal. I mean, it's not the best. Laverne is actually playing in for the power forward position. Oh, yeah. I mean, which is it's also interesting. interesting. Yeah. Like he's taking three pointers because everybody just stands in the paint and yeah. takes risks from him. And as well, also, I forgot this to mention, they're just taking so many early shots. Like if there is if there is first pass and there is a little bit of, you know, space to shoot, they're going to take that shot. Like you can bait them into taking shots 16 seconds in the offense, even though you could definitely get a better a better look, you know, so. Yeah, I, I, I just think that with one or two roster adjustments, you could give yourself a little bit more hope. The 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 problem with TJ Parker is that from what I heard, I think I was in the World Cup. I heard that TJ Parker's future was kind of already uncertain, uncertain uh, already, even during the off season. There was even an idea suggested by one person who knows as well quite well. He said that there was a possibility that TJ Parker might not start the season with Asvel as the head coach. And I think there was a chance that, uh, I think he mentioned that Vincent Collet could have replaced him for the start of the season. 
what would make sense, right? Colette did a good job in Metropolitans. Uh, and if you think about the uh, coaching change, I'm not saying that the coaching change in August makes sense, but I'm saying about the replacement because in, in France, uh, it's not like they have a lot of great local coaches who could perform or in, take your team to the next level in the EuroLeague. So Vincent Collet, as the head coach of the French national team, as the coach who did a great job with Metropolitans, would make sense as a replacement. But then they failed badly in the World Cup, so maybe it kind of changed the whole traje trajectory of, of the, you know, Asvel uh, decision-making, uh, and they kept T.J. Parker in this position. But I heard that they had some internal meetings already, not sure what they discussed. Mm. Uh, it's obvious that the situation is a bit different because head coach is your brother, so you can, you know, there, I think I'm. I'm just speculating, but there's a chance that T.J. Parker now knows that he will be replaced, but he's just you know staying as the head coach until the agreement comes with the new head coach. Uh, let's say, not to make mm. any uh, any any noise, any move uh, inside the head coaching staff. So maybe he's just patient with the change that is coming. But mm. but yeah, there's there was just always this uncertainty about his future in Asheville even before the season started. Okay. And if, if we mention uncertainties, uh, last week I had few conversations that a little bit, I wouldn't say surprised me, but made me more concerned about Maccabi. I didn't realize- What this, do you mean? I didn't re realize that the situation was so serious about their potential future in this year's yearly season. Because we all know the you know the horrible things that happened in Israel. We all know that they moved to Cyprus, and I just thought that okay, they will find some neutral gym. Uh, they might play some home games in neutral gym, and they will come back at some point of the season. But from from like legit people, uh, I heard some real concerns and some big question marks regarding their future, focused mainly on these few things. There are actually even some opinions that Maccabi should be suspended in the EuroLeague for the season for the reasons Tsetska Moscow was suspended. Because uh, they're participating in the war and it there might come a lot of different um, red flags. Um, we're, we're not like weighing the, you know, Russia's and Israel's uh, influence to that war or part of that importance uh, in, in that war. What we're talking about the team that might be, as some people mentioned, might be a target even traveling in away games. For instance, I don't know if you noticed, I just wow. also noticed on Twitter, like there was Free Palestine, big banner during Panthinaikos and Bayern Munich game. And I mean, let's let let's be honest. Israel has a lot of enemies in a lot of different countries, and I heard from some Euroleague teams a huge concern that, you know, first of all, safety-wise, it puts a lot of pressure on the home team that hosts Maccabi, mm -hmm. and at the same time, they're saying like, okay, if there are targets uh, of some fans that might enter into my gym it also puts a kind of a target to my team as well because you never know what might happen you know we are playing mm. the the same team and we are on the court so it might cause a lot of uh, it already caused a lot of questions to those teams how they're going to host maccabi how long they can play in the neutral gym 
because I heard that Maccabi is trying to calm everybody down and say that, hey, in two, three weeks, the situation should be improved, uh, much more improved, and we should be fine to host Real Madrid, Bayern, and somebody else in, at the start of the November. They're going to play three home games in a row at the start of November. At the same time, I heard concern. I heard concerns that my players does they don't want to go to Israel. They don't want to go to Tel Aviv, even though it's quite far uh, from 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 the border with, with Gaza and from the battlefield. Uh, so there are a lot of concerns going from a lot of different uh, ways, and uh, I was just you know the concern that I heard. Was was really serious, and I'm, I'm. I don't want to speculate about their future, but this concern is here. So it will be very interesting to see how the situation will de develop. First of all, with the war, and then the way Euroleague accepts the situation in, in in Israel and how they're gonna approach Maccabi's case. So, but they're playing tomorrow. They're playing Wednesday against Valencia, right? Yeah, in in Valencia. And then they're playing Friday against Milan. Panathinaikos. Oh. Okay, they're yeah. playing Panathinaikos this week in Athens. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, it's it's tough. It's tough. I did not. I did not expect actually to hear yeah such thing from you know what you what you just said. So, wow, tough tough situation to be in, and uh, let's see how it evolves. Yeah, just uh, let's let's finish the podcast with some. Uh, outside of Europe uh, topics. And let's start with the, actually, the EuroLeague MVP, Sasha Vizenkov. Uh, what do you think of Mike Brown, the Sacramento Kings head coach, being unsure if Sasha Vizenkov will, will, will be the part of Kings rotation this season? I don't think it's anything weird. I mean, he's a newcomer in the NBA. He has to adjust. His defense, first of all, has to adjust because we all saw how much praise his shooting and his offensive ability got from Kings players, King coaches, Kings coaches. They were really amazed by that. But uh, there are no doubts about his impact offensively. But on the other side of the court, how he's going to hold up against his opponents. And, you know, if he's paired with Sabonis, you know, he has to be at least average or above average to, to stay on the court in, in, in that lineup. So, um, I'm not surprised. He is a newcomer. He is from Europe. Um, it's the same. It goes both ways. Like we say for NBA guys who come in to play in Europe, there is going to be an adjustment period. It's the same thing for Vazenkov. So it, I'm not. I wouldn't be surprised if he's not in the rotation to start. Although I think he's going to be. But in my eyes, his role is going to grow over the course of the season. Because it's normal, because it's different speed, it's different court, it's different game. I mean, it's going to be tough for him, especially on the defensive side. So for me, it's nothing weird. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, uh, I try to stay away from any conclusions uh, when we speak about the preseason and the NBA. I just, I hope that, I, I don't really... Uh, it doesn't really bother me how long this transition process might take for him. I just hope that, you know, it goes well in general for him because we're talking about the EuroLeague MVP. And there's this thing with the NBA people. When they think about the potential transition uh, of European, especially matured EuroLeague players to the NBA, 
they look for comparisons. They like to go for comparisons. Okay, if this guy is great off-ball player, let's check for his best possible comparison in the NBA. What could be his ceiling or what could be the red flags of the same type of players who made it to the NBA, but, you know, couldn't deliver. So for the EuroLeague MVP, if, let's say, Sasha Vizenko fails, for any other EuroLeague MVP, you know, it might just add another red flag or, or labor among some NBA people, decision makers and scouts saying that, okay, this this title, this recognition, this kind of significance and, you know, the way he do dominated the EuroLeague was, was huge, was extraordinary. But then in that in those future conversations, it could mean basically anything. And I, I agree. I mean, it all goes, you know, each individual is different. Each MVP is different and he brings a different uh, skill set and you shouldn't, you know, um, consider playing based on his, uh, you know, awards like the MVP, you should focus on his skill and potential and some other qualities like size and stuff like that. But, but as I said, NBA people, they like comparisons. And especially when it's still kind of, they don't trust Europeans uh, that much. It just, it would be just another, uh, you know, bad thing, bad reason uh, not to invite your league player to the NBA or not to give him, not to give him an opportunity and, and a good co contract in the future. So I just really hope that Sasha Vazenkov or Vasily Mitic, Dante Exum uh, as well, they will find their roles and rhythm because so far the preseason was not that easy uh, for all of them. I think uh, Vazenkov has a better chances than Mitic to be on court for longer period of time. So I think, um, you know, Sacramento's front court is not as stacked as OKC's backcourt, yeah. and OKC's backcourt has so much young talent. And uh, I could I could easily see Vasilia being shipped to to a different team at the trade deadline. Yeah, and uh, because his timeline basically why why he is why he wasn't in the in the in the NBA, in the NBA before is because his timeline was way different from OKC's timeline. You know, in how they're building their project. And how they're building the team with with the young stars, with Josh Giddy, you know, SGA, and all those other guys that are here at the moment. So they're both going to have defensive concerns uh, about them. So they're going to, they're going simply have to prove that they belong to the NBA, and that their offensive impact can be greater than their flaws uh, on defense. Mm, to continue this NBA versus Europe topic, what did you take from? Real Madrid's win against the Dallas Maverick is this, this this whole game. Uh, it was such a well advertised game, I thought. And then all of a sudden we saw Luka Doncic play for five minutes, make some random three pointers because he has some pain in his uh, calf, calf, I think. Yeah. And then he's out and I was like, wow, good thing that I didn't go to this game because I was actually thinking, you know, maybe Maybe this is the time, you know, to see Luca coming back, playing for Dallas. I would have been so mad if I bought the ticket to that game. And, you know... At least he has played, you know. Can you imagine but, both him and Kyrie sitting out? But, like, did he really? No. <laughs> did he really play? He didn't. Like, he was just chucking up wild three-pointers because, you know, he doesn't want to get injured before the season. And, you know, he won... Uh, I saw a tweet. He wanted to play, but you know the doctor said no. Yeah. You can't risk it, and I understand it's a yeah. preseason game. And actually, I heard that these tickets were quite expensive, e I mean, even by Madrid standards. So, if I had those tickets, I would be really mad. You know, 
going to see Grant Williams play. Or, you know, uh, some other guys from Dallas. But uh, it wasn't really interesting because Real Madrid is already in season shape. Dallas is not. Kyrie wasn't playing. Luca barely played. And Real won, but they closed the game with their best lineup against Dallas lineup that will not play a minute mm. in the NBA season or two when they're down by 25 or they're winning by 25. So I don't know. I would love to see a real competitive game mm -hmm. that means something for both teams, that there is something to win, you know, maybe a, a prime money, money prize or... I don't know, maybe that intercontinental cup that we that were, I don't know, way way back in the past. So yeah, now, um, now they have this intercontinental cup with the G League champions, the G League Egypt, Knights. Chap Egypt champions playing as well. Not the best quality product you can get, but at the same time, you know, there's no Euro League, there is no NBA. So yeah, although somebody mentioned to me that there is this, you know, long term idea to potentially bring EuroLeague and NBA teams to that Intercontinental Cup. Although I still don't believe it would make any difference. NBA teams just start their preseason. And, you know, the money prize you mentioned, if these contracts that they have in the NBA, I don't I don't imagine what kind of money prize it, it, yeah. it, it should be to motivate them to play those games and to treat the, those games seriously. So, I don't know. I, I really thought that this game was some something of a new partnership that EuroLeague and NBA uh, had. Because the last time we had the NBA game, NBA team playing against the EuroLeague team, it was just in 2016 or 17. And I was actually in that game. I remember OKC. Wasn't it OKC against Real Madrid? OKC against Real Madrid. And Russell also Westbrook OKC versus Luka Doncic. Yeah, OKC played against uh, Barcelona. I just don't remember which game was the first. But I remember I was in that uh, OKC Madrid game where Domantas Sabonis was shooting threes as a stretch four. <laughs> where Russell Westbrook was coming at Luka Doncic. And I remember that Westbrook had a tough night and Luka was was okay. Not very impressive, but uh, was okay. And I think that Sergio Yui, as always, he stole the show. So that that's my memory, and I thought that this is something new, some some new partnership to kick in. But from what I understood, from what I heard, it was mostly about Luca just wanting to have a basketball game against his former team, Real Madrid, maybe to give something back to mm -hmm. Real Madrid, to Madrid's community, which again speaks a lot about him because you know you can hate his body language on the court. We told enough well-deserved criticism toward him yeah, during the World Cup. Uh, he's not the most favorite player among the NBA fan base, but the way he gives back to the community and to his fans is something else. Uh, not just this game. Uh, as I said, again, it was one of the biggest reasons why this game happened, just Lucas' motivation to play against Real Madrid. But the way he like approaches all these guys who want to get a signature before the game, he really spends like a lot of minutes, uh, you know, to uh, to please everybody who comes to the corner before the game, you know, to get something from him. And you know, that's that's very nice. We remember the story in the World Cup, I think, where he gifted his jersey. To, to to somebody I don't remember the details, but it was also a nice story. So, yeah, that's that's Luca. He he wants to give back to his fans and community, and that's he's, that's he's, nice. He's a great guy for that. I mean, there was also you know the free and free tournament he hosted. I mean, it was for his uh, mm. uh, shoe opening. 
but uh, it was in Slovenia. It was one of those beautiful places. That image, it was the court was on the lake. I'm pretty sure everyone who's listening to this podcast have seen that photo. Mm -hmm. yeah. it, was, it was an amazing. And, and this is also, you know, Luca doing uh, and a publicity to, to Slovenia, to yeah. his home country. So I think that's great. I think this this part of him goes a bit underrated. And for me, this was basically, yes, it's a nice partnership. I would love to see more, you know, EuroLeague teams battling NBA teams, even though it's a preseason for them. But I think it was more of Luca, you know, trying to do what's possible and asking Mark Cuban to organize this game to, to, just, to just give back to Madrid and for all they've helped him, you know, in his career. Yeah, because... Dallas covered all their expenses and uh, I asked around some people how much it would cost mm, to bring the NBA team to Europe for a friendly game because I remember it was a thing, you know, even Jalgiris, they had a real possibility to make it happen. You know, they just didn't have enough money because you have to provide uh, all the expenses for the players and the personal that the NBA club has. And we're talking about a lot of people like 50 from 50 to 100 people. And we're talking about, you know, flights, business star, uh, transatlantic flights, five star hotels, and some other stuff, uh, then their stay, you know, that accommodate mm. their stay. And it, it's really expensive. And I just before the start of the podcast, I tried to check for some old articles because I really remember that this question was asked to some Lithuanian executives. And the current general secretary of Lithuanian Basketball Federation, 10 years ago, he said that 15 years ago, the costs of bringing NBA team to Europe were somewhere between two and four million dollars. So we're talking about this amount in 2008. So we can expect that nowadays it's 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 way higher. So so yeah, not many European teams can afford that. We're talking about the almost the entire budget for salaries for player salaries. So it's it's kind of impossible. And you know how crazy that sounds. Does that game Real Madrid and Dallas game has any future uh, in in next summer and next off season? It's it's not clear. There are no strategic conversations between the NBA and the Euroleague to to host and uh, to arrange uh, another game like that. So. We're not sure uh, how long we're gonna wait for another NBA versus EuroLeague game, but you know, I, I try to think about what would be the ideal format and and the ideal world. I would like to see the EuroLeague champions playing in the NBA Cup tournament. If NBA Cup had a different format, let's say you have eight teams in Vegas, uh, you know, fighting for the title, let's say in in one week mm. and a knockout. Uh, tournament that that would be nice if you put seven nba teams and one yearly champions who would come who would join those teams during the cup uh, nice. break as well that would make sense for me because all teams would be in kind of nice shape and if you the calendar of course is the issue if you would find this gap that would be nice because now that sounds like an, an utopia but it would actually be interesting yeah. to see i mean what the the question then my question would be how do you count the wins against the european team does it go to your record in the nba or or not because not all the teams get to play them so mm. other teams might argue that you get a free free win let's say for example if yeah i'm not saying it would be a free win it but it probably, be fair probably if the yeah. first seeded nba team would face the euroleague club right so 
Yes, but if it's if it doesn't count, you know, as a win, then that NBA team might not t take the game seriously. And you know, there is a lot of issues here. You yeah. know, to to organize something that would be a, a competitive game between Euroleague and the NBA, even though a lot of people would love to see that. Yeah, that's it. That's it for the for this episode. Just in the end, I wanted to give credit to our BN Plus members. We wanted to give credit to uh sk sk store store.eu uh for the great gifts that we received but the biggest gift is our fans is beyond plus subscribers and this week we will have the q a session for them the entire episode will be exclusively available only for beyond plus members that you can become on basketnews.com uh slash uh plus and i just wanted to give a shout out to our GM and all-star subscribers, starting from the GMs, Jason and GiveMeStats.com basketball stats, and all-stars, Kyrstras Pukitis, Gabriel Serva, Yonut Georgescu, Nikozinho, Hoofman, Rafael, Victory, Mark, Nick BG, T-Wold, T21, and Ivaras. So kudos to all BN Plus subscribers, actually, who, who get a lot of extra features, including our bonus Q&A sessions, Ogis video breakdowns, WhatsApp chat with the greatest international basketball community that we probably have in Europe. Uh, also, basketnews.com uh, interviews and articles that we put under paywall. So you all boost our project to do some great things. And we actually have some big plans for the upcoming uh, weeks, starting from the Q&A episode that we're gonna have Viveritis. Uh, in presence. That's all. Let's That's go, all. Let's go to take some lunch. Yep. And to enjoy these amazing SK store gifts. These jerseys. Yep. Bye, guys. <laughs>